Good morning. Good morning and welcome to the SSV. I'm so glad that you are here. As Lauren said, my name is Shannon and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I love to welcome our first-time visitors, but you know I love to welcome our second-time visitors. I'm so glad you are here in person or watching online. Now, before I get into the message, March is Women's History Month, and so I am standing before you as the co-lead pastor of this church in a movement that welcomes and invites women to lead to the full capacity of their calling. I am proud to be a part of a church with so many exceptional women leaders, leading in homes and schools and businesses. We literally have boss ladies all over the place in here. And as a pastor who is a woman, I want to say that this church has been good to me. I have been respected and honored as a leader, so thank you to those of you who call this church home. I also want to acknowledge that as we take time to celebrate the contributions of women, we still have work to do. I am able to stand before you and preach in this house because other women struggled and fought so that women could preach. I meet with a group of vineyard women pastors, and some of them are pastoring in the South or in areas where women are not welcome to lead, and they are intentionally left out of meetings, they are blatantly disrespected in public settings. We have made progress, and we have work to do. We also have work to do for women of color. Women of color are often fighting against additional injustice. And I would that our house of worship be a place where women are supported and trained and given all the opportunities to grow into their full potential and calling. So before we begin today, I want to pray over the women here and those watching online. So if you are close to someone, would you just extend your hands as is our custom at the SSV? Holy Spirit, thank you that you have made us women. Thank you that you have called us to lead, that you have called us to be your hands and feet in communities, in our jobs, in our schools, and in our homes. Lord, would you continue to open doors for us? Would you continue to allow us to use our voice in spaces where our voices are sometimes shut down or stifled? Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you in your kingdom. We know that the church wouldn't be what it is today if it were not for the contributions of women. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I can remember the day so clearly. It felt like a crisp fall day at the end of August. I was standing on the campus of the College of St. Benedict in St. Joseph, Minnesota, in front of the admissions office with Matt Byrne. He had been my contact during my senior year of high school as I planned and worked with the uh, admissions people and the volleyball coaches at St. Ben's to prepare for my freshman year of college there. He was a really nice guy. And at the time, he had, a long, he had long hair that he wore in a ponytail. I can remember his face so clearly. Now, the reason for this particular meeting, though, it started with tears running down my face. You see, I was a freshman and I had arrived early because I was on a volleyball scholarship. And so I was prepared to live out my dream of playing collegiate volleyball, a goal I had been pursuing since I was in fifth grade. And now on this August day, standing outside the admissions office, I was trying to tell Matt Byrne that I needed to go home. In the few short days, not weeks, not months, in the few short days that I had been there, 
I had found out that this school was not the right fit for me. I was homesick. I was beyond homesick. And as an athlete, I had arrived early on campus, and there were maybe just a handful of students, maybe a few uh, athletes and staff on campus. It was incredibly lonely, and I was a mess. Having just arrived, I was certain of this terrible decision. So, standing outside the admissions office, I poured my heart out to Matt, and I told him how devastated I was, how I had made the wrong decision, how I missed my family, and how I didn't want to grow up. Life was terribly unfair. And now, just a few days into this entire, entire miserable experience, I was trying to work out how I could get home as quickly as possible. And Matt, calm as can be, he listened to me, and then he hugged me. Now, have you ever been hugged by someone you didn't know very well, but you were too much of a mess to actually care, and so you just fall apart in their arms? That was this moment, on the sidewalk, outside the admissions office. And then Matt steps back from me and he says, you can always change your mind. And in my memory, that moment, like the clouds cleared, the sun shone down on our spot right there, and everything went quiet. I could change my mind. It was a big moment for me. Now, things didn't instantly get better. In fact, to quote the children's book, it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad semester. Just ask my parents. But I did just like Matt said. I changed my mind. Through many tears and many conversations with my parents and family members and coaches and roommates, I made it through one semester and one semester only at St. Ben's. And then I left that school. And I came home to attend Parkland College in Champaign. Now, that also meant that I left my dream of playing collegiate volleyball. I dealt with grief and sadness and shame and embarrassment because I just couldn't cut it as a college student away from home. And here's the thing. I was totally shocked that I couldn't cut it. Prior to this experience, I had not imagined I was capable of such homesickness. Prior to this experience, you could not have pulled me from the volleyball court for anything. And yet, here I was, back at home at the start of my second semester of my freshman year in college, having changed my mind. And I have found that this simple concept, this action, this permission is a steadying one thing in my life, especially given my personality, because my tendency is to be incredibly determined and diligent. I can change my mind. And we've spent the last few weeks inviting different people to share their one thing. What is the one thing they know to be true? What is one consistent current in their life, specifically their life with Jesus? And as I, list, I listened to the messages over the past few weeks, I was aware of how our one things are shaped by experiences in our lives, lived experiences. We know things are true and steady because we've experienced them. Often it's the multiple experiences that rhyme in our life that start to help us define our worldview and our way of operating. And so if I were to pass the mic, we would all be able to describe a truth or one truth in our life. We would say what the thread is that runs through our life with Jesus. And it might be more than one thing. I can think of a few things. In fact, all the messages that we've shared in this series, I was thinking, there's a piece of truth that that's my one thing too. 
But I realize that's sort of cheating if the assignment is to talk about our one thing. So for me, this idea that I can change my mind, I would say it's one truth that runs through my life with Jesus. Change is possible. And when this first crossed my mind, I thought, well, this isn't super spiritual. But it kept coming up. That memory of Matt kept coming up. And today, I want to look at the story of Saul in the book of Acts and share some stories about how this truth about changing my mind has helped me on my journey to becoming more like Jesus. In the hopes that maybe my one truth might help you become more like Jesus too. So now to give some background on the book of Acts, the book of Acts tells the story of a movement born among the Jewish people. They were scattered around, but devoted to the one true God. And they would travel to Jerusalem for sacred festivals. During a festival, the Feast of Pentecost, there were a group of Jews telling this story about this man named Jesus, his death and resurrection and what it means for those who believe. And many people were listening to the story and they'd get excited and they'd come to believe in Jesus. And so the movement was growing and it was expanding. And this was very exciting for a lot of people, except for the Jew Jerusalem temple leaders. They opposed this new movement. And that's where Saul of Tarsus comes in. He's part of the religious elite. He believes that he is protecting and honoring God by trying to eliminate this startup group of new Jesus followers. So the movement is continuing to expand beyond Jerusalem, including north to Damascus. And so we pick up here in Acts 9 where Saul is headed to Damascus to go and arrest more Jesus followers. So you can join along with me in Acts 9. I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. The, the words will also be on the screen. Starting here. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So pausing here, we have Saul who's been an active terror to Jesus' followers. This man is eager to arrest Jesus' followers and on his way to do so, like he's on the road to do so. And then this moment happens. Now, the next verses in this chapter describe an interaction between a man named Ananias and the Lord. The Lord tells Ananias to go and lay hands on Saul. Well, Ananias is like, no thank you, because the reputation of Saul is well understood. Ananias is not wrong in his assumption that going to Saul feels like a real death trap. 
But the Lord tells him to go, and so Ananias goes and finds Saul. Listen, I could preach a whole sermon about Ananias and obedience and listening to God, but we're not going there today. But Ananias goes and finds Saul. He prays for him. Scale, what seems like scales falls off of Saul's eyes so he can see again. <clears throat> and then Ananias baptizes Saul. Verses 19 and 20 end with these words. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. It's quite an unbelievable story. It's also a familiar story if you've been in the church for any length of time. Saul changes his name to Paul and becomes a force in the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If ever there were an MVP for the Christian faith, Paul would make the list and has a good shot at winning the top award. But he also might get the most improved award, too. This Saul-turned-Paul story hits me in this season of life as a reminder that change is possible. It's a reminder that just like I can change my mind about being at the College of St. Benedict, I can change my mind about who I want to be in my family, or in my job, in my neighborhood, and even in the world. And after an encounter with Jesus, Saul changed. He turned his life around. Now he still had the same fervor and zeal and dogged personality that he had before. It was just in a different direction, with a different focus. And that same ability to change is available to us too. But here's the problem. We are sinful. We are always reverting back to our sinful nature. Paul, the same guy we're reading about as Saul in this previous passage, he writes this later in Romans 7, 18 through 20. He says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. We mess up. We act selfishly. We act in ways we hate. Behaviors of greed and sloth, envy and pride, our default mode is sinful. And we can sometimes get the idea that some of our decisions or characteristics or ways of being in the world, that those things are set in concrete. And then, because we believe that it's set in concrete, we start to act in a way that reinforces that thing we believe to be true. Sure, we can acknowledge that some things are changeable. I can cut my hair a different way. I can part it on the other side. I can move. I can eat something different for lunch. But sometimes we seem to have a category of our life that we see as unchangeable. A section or a way of being or a way of showing up that we believed is more fixed than set. And there is real truth to that. There are things I can't change. But there are some things I can And the trick is to know which is which, right? I believe Saul's story gives us insight into the importance of changing. You see, the same Jesus that met Saul on the road to Damascus is the same living Jesus we serve today. And I wonder if you can have the imagination to consider some things in your own life that you've checked off as just, this is the way I am, or this is the way I will always be. And maybe you're not even conscious about it anymore. You and everyone around you has just made allowances for you to show up as a version of yourself that is maybe mean or inconsiderate or negative. Maybe you've let your addictions to substances or people become part of who you are and you no longer even fight it. 
even though you're quite certain that the trail of destruction that follows you is a result of the addiction. You might say there is a way that you show up in the world that under examination, that in your healthiest moments, you would say you would rather not be that person. That your habits and hang-ups, or maybe even just one habit in particular, one way of operating is less than who you desire to be. Maybe you would even be able to identify hopelessness in any other way of being. Phrases like, well, my dad was this way, and my grandfather was this way, so I guess this is just how I'm going to be. Or, I just, I just feel like this has a hold on me that I can't break. But if you're here today, and you're looking for a solution to the problem of sin that keeps showing up in your life, I'm here to tell you that you can change. When Jesus died on the cross, he broke our bondage to sin. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Listen, we are sinful, but we are no longer slaves to that sin. You can change your mind. You can change directions. Change is possible. If we look at the story of Saul, we see that this change began with an encounter with Jesus. Saul was a mess of a man. He had a track record for being the most ambitious of persecutors. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. An encounter full of drama, an audible voice to knock it off, afflicted with blindness. I mean, Paul was probably like, or Saul at the time, was probably like, what is happening here? And sometimes an encounter with Jesus shows up that way, even today. All the drama, all the craziness. But oftentimes, I think an encounter with Jesus shows up in other ways. Maybe it shows up as a health scare or a financial crisis. Maybe it shows up as a relationship crisis. It can show up during big life changes, the birth of a child, the decision to move, the start of a new job. Sometimes it shows up as something, something external to us in the form of a neighbor who invites you to church or a coworker who lives differently, and you're just kind of curious about that. In a random encounter at the jewel down the street, an invitation to church that gets handed to you with a popsicle at a 4th of July parade. Saul's story of change begins with an encounter. Now what about you? What does your encounter with Jesus look like? As you look around your life, where do you see moments of Jesus' encounter with you? Something happened to cause you to come here today. There must have been some encounter along your path. Are there situations that God may be used or is using to get your attention? Are there people who keep flowing into your story, inviting you into a new way of being? As we consider a life with Jesus, there may be a singular encounter that sets up, us up on a new path. And those are great experiences, those dramatic encounters. Those are big deals, incredible, amazing. Maybe you can think of your own moment, or maybe the person who told you about Jesus has that kind of moment. But it's also important for us to regularly encounter Jesus so that we can continually experience transformation and renewal, to have our eyes open to what he's doing, how the circumstances in our life or the people in our life are presenting or inviting us into an encounter with Jesus. So we can continue to change, so we can continue to become more like him. Because after Saul encounters Jesus, 
after he becomes Paul, he starts living differently. The Paul we see in Acts 9.20 immediately begins preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the Son of God. And the rest of Paul's life, it isn't perfect, but it is for sure different. An encounter with Jesus involving a voice from heaven, blindness, and an obedient Ananias changes the entire trajectory of Paul's life, practically immediately. Can you imagine the number of conversations Paul had to have with those people in the first few weeks? Can you imagine that people might have been hiding around corners, saying, is this a trick? What's happening here? I mean, it probably took Paul some time to live in front of people before they were convinced that this was real change. But what a testimony it must have been, and it still is. What a testimony to see the change in Paul, that an encounter with Jesus could result in such a difference. Encounter leads to a different way of life. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see this pattern. The woman at the well, she had an encounter with Jesus and then went back to her city and told everyone about this encounter. She started living differently. You can read about her story in John 4. The disciples, Simon and Andrew's story in Matthew 4, they're out doing their job, minding their business, fishing. They encounter Jesus, drop their nets, change jobs, and follow Jesus. Zacchaeus in Luke 19, he, he has this encounter with Jesus, gives away half of his possessions, and repays times four the people he's cheated. These stories are all throughout the Bible. And honestly, they're all throughout the history of the world. Maybe you have such a story. When we have an encounter with Jesus, and when we make a decision toward a different way of life, we are experiencing for ourselves the freedom of a life with Jesus. And our lives are testimonies to others that change is possible. When we share about our brokenness and addiction and how we've been rescued from the bondage that once held us, we're inviting people into that same freedom that we experience. When we daily walk out the importance of regular and continued encounters with Jesus, we are showing people that we are imperfect people on a journey to becoming more like our perfect, loving, and forgiving Jesus marked by how well we love God and how well we love others. When we commit to being willing to change, we recognize our fallen, sinful self and the ways we continually fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, but that through the, God's grace and Jesus' death on the cross, we've been made right. Change is possible. It's walked out through encountering Jesus and living differently. Now, as someone who has had to read Who Moved My Cheese on numerous occasions, because the information doesn't stick well, and someone who is a self-proclaimed resistor of change, I want to share four things I've learned about change. As we set out to make changes, we must recognize that change can be hard and there may be consequences. Meaningful change often requires a disruption in patterns and behaviors that have made well-worn paths and patterns in our lives. Patterns that have served us well. Habits that have met our needs. We know we operate with well-known or well-worn neural pathways in our brains that cause us to operate in certain ways. And those pathways are beneficial. Like, it's helpful when you're driving, for example, that you don't have to think so hard about what it takes to get the car out of the driveway. But when we're trying to make change, those pathways can cause problems because they become the path of least resistance. It's easier to just operate how you've always operated. So, apart from the basic anatomy of our changing patterns, uh, there are consequences and challenges. 
If you decide to stop gossiping, you may have to find a different group of friends to eat lunch with. Minimally, you'll have to find a different topic of conversation. If you decide to stop drinking or smoking, your Friday nights will look different. You may say that they're less eventful. Like me and the loss of a collegiate volleyball life, your, your change may result in an adjustment of what you imagined your life or a season of your life to look like. Change can be hard. It can be painful. It can be difficult. It can be a disruption. Prepare your mind and your spirit for the challenges that may come when you decide to change your mind or change your path. But hard is not necessarily a sign that something is wrong, which means you have to pay attention to the why of your change. Understanding why you are changing is helpful in deciding if change is the right move because tip number two, or thing that I've learned about change, endurance is as important as change. Enduring in the face of hardship, sticking with things and persistence are all necessary and important qualities to do this life well. It is perhaps equally important to endure as it is to being willing to change. There are some things that we should stick with. I'm a big fan of endurance and persistence. If you've been hanging around here for any length of time, you know that persistence is one of my gifts. My family was recently joking with me about this gift that I have for persistence. One day over Christmas break, one of my kids asked me to do a puzzle with them. Now I wasn't super excited about doing it, uh, but I do try to say yes whenever my kids ask me to engage in something that is non-screen related. Uh, and so let me tell you, this was not one of those like big piece puzzles. Uh, this was a legit puzzle. We are big time in the Allison house now. It was the Chicago Bears 500-piece puzzle. Well, about 10 minutes in, some Allisons who shall remain nameless started to drop off of the puzzle process. Now, I can't be exactly sure what time they left the table because I was so focused. And at about the one hour mark, I looked up and I realized I was the lone puzzle master. <laughs> Now here's the thing, I didn't notice, right, because again, so focused. Friends, I was unstoppable. No breaks, no snacks, just focus. And this is not an unusual situation. You have a tangled necklace, Christmas lights that are tangled, I'm your girl. I have literally spent hours on the chat line with Comcast. I value persistence and determination more than the average person, so it's not lost on me that change and endurance can sometimes feel contradictory. That's why it's important to know which quality the situation calls for. There are hundreds of things you should stick with, things where you should be measured and reasonable. It's okay to change your job, but it might not be okay to change your job every month. And apply that to any number of things. Change or endurance should be informed by wisdom and courage. When determining which route is best, I would encourage both active conversations with the Holy Spirit as well as wise counsel from friends who are for your success and determined to help you become a better version of yourself. Which leads me to tip number three. As Jesus followers, change should grow us into better versions of ourselves, not worse. As you may know, uh, about a year and a half ago I started a new job. 
I had just left a job I had been at for 10 years. So this was a new, exciting, and honestly, quite overwhelming experience and moment for me. In my last job, the one I'd been at for 10 years, I had been there long enough to have had great days. I had accomplished great things. I had moments where I was a great boss. I had led well, I'd completed projects, all sorts of shining moments. And also, I had been there long enough to have demonstrated less than Jesus-like qualities. I had moments where I had spoken harshly to others. I had had bad days. Days when I was less than a good version of myself. And so, as I was walking up to the building on the first day of my new job, I had this moment. I actually stopped on the sidewalk about 100 yards from the door, and I thought in my head, I can be anyone I want to be in this new position. I can be kind and courageous. I can be thoughtful and wise. I can be slow to anger and rich in love. I can stand up against injustice and gossip. I can show Jesus to my coworkers and colleagues. I remember taking a deep breath and saying, Psalm 1914, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As a Jesus follower, change should grow us into better versions of ourselves. Starting a new job allowed me to recommit to the characteristics that Jesus calls me to live out every day. We can, be, we can change by setting new patterns and getting rid of the old patterns that weaken our testimony rather than strengthen it. And our testimony is the culmination of both the big decisions and the small decisions we make along this journey of life. Which brings me to my final tip about change. Change can show up in different ways. Change can be expressed in big, dramatic, and life-changing moments, similar to what we read about in Saul's story. If you've heard uh, Gino's dad's testimony, I think about how big and dramatic his change was. Uh, Gino's dad was a heroin addict who found Jesus. And in order to break his heroin addiction, he locked himself into a room and, was to and told the people on the outside, don't let me out until I get through this. Now, the man who went into that room was a very different man than the one who came out, although it may have taken some time for that to actually work itself out. But I don't know of anyone who's broken their heroin addiction by sheer willpower. That was big. It was huge. It was dramatic. It's the near-death experiences, the wild, you're not going to believe this story. I love those stories. If that's your story, you should tell it. You should share it a hundred times. It's a great thing to say. But change can also show up in the regular and the mundane. It can show up in the small and tiny steps toward change, in the seemingly inconsequential dailiness of life. It's the decision to stop turning to alcohol after a hard day, or the moment you respond with a deep breath and kindness instead of anger, the way you download the Bible app and start setting that alarm for five minutes earlier, the decision to come to church one Sunday, and then the next Sunday, and then the Sunday after that. Those changes are important too. And sometimes the changes we need to make revolve around decisions we made when we were younger or much different versions of ourselves. Let me tell you about one such decision I've made. So I have this thing about hair color and me. 
in my 20s when my wonderful and beautiful college roommates were spending lots of money at the salon getting their hair done, I made a bold and courageous statement. I said, as only a humble and proper 20-year-old can do, I will never dye my hair. Now, over the years, I have repeated that statement as a commitment to not dyeing my hair. Do I find anything wrong with dyeing hair? No. Do I love the look when somebody gets their hair dyed and they have low lights or highlights? I don't even know all the terminology. I love it. Do I love the funky, bold colors when somebody goes red or green or pink? Yes, I love that. But because I made a commitment as a 20-year-old, I stand before you today having never dyed my hair. So a few months ago, I was running with two of my running buddies. We were out on the Volmer Trail, and we were talking about getting older and what that feels like. And at some point in the conversation, I shared about my commitment to not dyeing my hair, but how in the last year, in a particular bathroom at work, I have noticed that some gray hair is starting to show up. Now, it's just one bathroom, and it's just the lighting. I think there's something wrong with that particular bathroom. Uh, and I was sharing about how that's bothering me, that I'm going gray. And my dear friend Margie, she, you know, we're running alongside each other. She says to me, without even looking at me, she said, you could change your mind. And no joke, friends, I said back to her, change my mind about what? Like, it did, it's like my brain kind of like didn't compute. What are we talking about here? What would I change? And she said, you could change your mind about dyeing your hair. And just like that day when I was standing with Matt Byrne outside the admissions office, it felt like the sky cleared up. I couldn't understand why this was happening. If I decide to dye my hair, it will be okay. It will also be okay if I don't dye my hair. I can change my mind. And I, I tell that story not because it has any spiritual implications, but because it represents a pact I made as a 20-year-old that I have held to even as I have changed as a person. And I wonder if you've made some similar pacts, some agreements you've made with yourself that have sort of locked you in to a way of being that no longer fits. Maybe you've made a relatively silly decision like me to not dye your hair. But maybe it's something more consequential. Maybe it's an evangelistic consequence. You've decided that your neighbor or your coworker is unworthy of your witness. They've blown you off before, and you are not going to spend any more time on that. They are unworthy of your kindness or your invitation to talk about this Jesus that you serve. So you've stopped trying to share Jesus. You've made a decision that you won't trust church people. None of them. Whether they give you a reason to or not. And you resonate with the often stated, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Maybe you've made a decision that under no circumstances will you ever, ever, ever forgive your dad or your ex-wife or your old boss. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can change your mind. In fact, you can change your mind about some things while still being wise and aware of necessary and appropriate boundaries. Maybe you've decided you will never give your life to Jesus. You saw some things and witnessed some messed up versions of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower, and you said, that's not for me. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can change your mind. 
We believe that the Holy Spirit is drawing people back to the Father. That the hole or the loneliness or the homesickness you feel can only be filled by Jesus. I'm here to tell you that your Father in Heaven is waiting for you with arms wide open to welcome you into or back into the family. Change is possible. Where does this land on you today? The thing about this is that we all have at least one area of our life where change could make us more like Jesus. And maybe as you were listening today, you know exactly where change needs to take place. You're locked in. You feel the healthy Holy Spirit conviction and you are ready to change. For others, you might be thinking this over. And I believe that if we are hungry for encounter, and if we want to live differently, just like the story of Saul, the Holy Spirit is a gracious and loving God. Not by our own might or power, but because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, change is possible. In fact, we have a great opportunity for you to press into this possibility of change. Our church happens to be participating in a 30-day fast. Imagine that. It starts this Thursday. And so as you consider behaviors or patterns you want to change, you can consider both the ways you want to stop doing some things and the ways you want to start doing some things. So we're going to put some opportunities up on the screen now. These are some opportunities for you to press into some things. And so we have Wednesday worship and devotion at 6 a.m. We have the SSV family prayer we have the opportunity to join a small group. So in these next 30 days, these are some things that you can press into. We also encourage you to take a look at the, some of the things that you might want to let go of. And one great thing about change is that, uh, why don't you just commit for 30 days? Why don't you just check it out for 30 days and see how things go? Again, at the end of the 30 days, you can change your mind. You can do something differently. But we're asking everyone to prayerfully and thoughtfully consider how God might be asking you to engage in these next 30 days. And I'll ask you, as I consider my own need for change behavior, would you pray about it? Listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, just, it doesn't have to be a long prayer, it doesn't have to be dramatic, it can just be like, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to engage in? What do you want me to let go of in the next 30 days? But one of the things that I think is important about change behavior is that we make a commitment to change, but one piece that sometimes we forget, which is really helpful, is you've got to tell somebody about it. And so, um, would you make a decision, but then would you also consider just scanning that QR code? This is just a commitment card. We're not going to be legalistic about it. We're not going to hold you to it. But it is just an opportunity for you to kind of like fully commit to what you might do in the next 30 days. As we prepare to worship in this final worship song, would you uh, also just consider posturing your heart in one of two ways? As I was praying about this sermon, as I was praying about change, um, I realized that some of you are here today needing to make a change. You're Saul on the road. You're not sure what the next steps hold, but you know you need to live differently. And so as we begin to worship in this last song, would you posture your heart to hear how Jesus wants to walk with you through this next season? Or your change is of the less dramatic variety. You have a sin issue.
that you've marked set as in concrete, but you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit to just change your mind about it. Now, of course, it's not that simple, but I think that sometimes the first step is that simple. What behavior or pattern or habit do you need to hand over to Jesus this morning? And then the second posture. For those of you who are here today or who are watching online, you've been rescued or changed by the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. And as we worship in this last song, would you posture your heart in celebration as we close, as we, as we celebrate the, the reality and the truth that the, the Lord Jesus Christ had an encounter with you. He loved you so much that he wanted to have an encounter with you so that you could live differently, so that the trajectory of your life could affect and inform all these people. I believe some of us, some of us have become apathetic to the rescuing power of Jesus. We have forgotten who we used to be. Would you, if that's you, would you respond in celebration, thanking God for who he is and how through his power, through his love, change was possible in your own life? And so here's the thing. I know that I've got you know, people here who are both going to celebrate, and some of you are still on the, on the road to Damascus, so to speak. But I think that the folks who are on the road to Damascus, the folks who are deciding whether they will change, deciding what it looks like to have an encounter with Jesus, they need to see the celebration and the celebratory worship of people who understand what Jesus has done in their life. And so would you just be free in your worship today? Would you be free in the celebration of what God has done in your life? How he's picked you up and turned you around and placed your feet on solid ground. Would you stand if you're able to do so as we close in a final worship song? Let me just close with a word of blessing. Father God, thank you for the power to change. Thank you that you love us so much that you are regularly and consistently looking for encounter with us so that we can be different so that we can live out a testimony in front of other people, so that they too can have an encounter, so that they too can live differently, so that we can affect families and communities and cities and nations and the world. We come to you in celebration, Lord Jesus Christ.